Amen. Let me invite you to stand and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 31. So Isaiah 31, and just to set the context, I'm going to read to you a couple verses from Isaiah 30. And this was a time where Assyria was rising as a kingdom and was threatening Israel. And they, instead of trusting God, went out and wanted to form an alliance with Egypt. So this is talked about in Isaiah 30. God says, O oh, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. And this is Isaiah 31, which will be our focus today. I'll read verses 1 through 9. That's really a, a, a continuation of that idea, this challenge. Who are you going to trust in? Who will you seek refuge in? Who will you call on for help? And it's something I definitely struggle with, and knowing that, you probably do too. And let's see today, really, the contrast between true trusting and false trusting. So hear God's word from Isaiah 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him. From whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by, this, by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rocks shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord, as we approach your word, we pray we would do so with humility, that you would get rid of the stubbornness of our heart, that you would make us open to your will and to your ways as we turn to you and trust in you. Help us that way, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what a blessing it is to live in a country that on our coinage and currency, it says right there, in God we trust. 
In God we trust. In fact, in God we trust is the motto of the United States of America. It's not e pluribus unum. That was Latin for out of many come one. No, it has been replaced with in God we trust. How awesome is that? Except if you do a deep dive on what do you mean by God? What's your conception or perception of the God in whom we trust? And that's a great question to ask. It says right there, even on the back of cruisers for the Kendall County uh, Sheriff deputies, you see it says, in God we trust. Hopefully you're looking at it from the back <laughs> and not from the side of the road. It says right there, in God we trust. Well, what do you mean by God? What are you putting your trust in? We are a capable people, aren't we? And some of us trust in our organization and our administration, and we get that calendar out, and we are going to be super aggressively helpful for everyone in our life, helpful in quotes, and we're going to control all the circumstances of our lives and everyone else's, and we're going to bring about the outcomes that we want, and we are not trusting in the God of the Bible. We are trusting in our abilities to organize, to control. Some of us trust, and we lament, oh, if my children would just listen to me. And all the advice that I have, if they would just listen, my young adult children or my older adult children, we trust in our ability to organize and control other people's lives, and oh, their life would be so much better if they would listen. And some of us trust in politics, some of us trust in our bank account balance. If truth be told, there are a lot of other things that we trust in that we think secure our future or secure the good, comfortable life, whatever your definition of that is. Well, this morning, Isaiah defines where our trust should be. If it's in God we trust, and hopefully we understand it is not this benevolent being above that we trust, it is not some deistic view, some ambiguous view of who God is, that He is the clockmaker God. He set the universe into uh, existence, and then He stands back like a benevolent grandpa and watches things happen. That isn't the God of the Bible. Uh, instead, we have a God who is active and involved in our life to bring about the outcomes that bring Him glory. And my encouragement to you is, God knows better than you. God can organize your life better than you can. That's true for me too. And I struggle with that. I'm a good controller. Maybe you are too. And there, you're going to see in this passage really false control and false trusting and true trusting. And you're going to see the contrast there. And Isaiah is going to define and fill with meaning this God of the Bible. In God we trust. Isaiah says, let me tell you about this God. And Israel says, mm, we're having none of it. We are going to go out and as Assyria rises as a kingdom and threatens us, we're going to go make an alliance 
with Egypt because they're going to help us. They're going to deliver us. Just, uh, we kind of have to hedge our bets here. And if the God thing doesn't work out, we will trust in Egypt. Or we'll trust in Egypt because it's too difficult to trust in God. Look at the circumstances. But they're encouraged here to trust in a God who is absolutely faithful. And Isaiah demonstrates the character of God so that we can trust Him in those hard and difficult situations that we have in our life. And sometimes they're people. Let's be honest. Sometimes those difficult situations are difficult people. And this is an encouragement. There's a lot of competitors for trusting in God And this is your invitation to turn back and to trust in God. So first, we're going to look. False trusting. Other things we might trust in besides God to deliver us. And this is in verses 1 through 3. And right right off the start here, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. So remember, I've told you several times in this Isaiah series, the underlying issue in Isaiah is who they're going to trust in. Will they trust in a God who loves them and never will leave them or forsake them, or they're going to trust in Egypt. And why do they trust in Egypt? Well, check it out here in verse 1. They've got horses. They've got chariots that are many and horsemen that are strong. So these are earthly resources that they're challenged uh, to trust in. And by contrast, their false trusting in these earthly things Look at the end of verse 1. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel. That's one of the key phrases Isaiah uses throughout Isaiah to identify an all-powerful God who is completely separate and other than we are. And then look at this. They're not looking to Him or consulting the Lord. Now, typically when we hear consulting, I don't know about you, but consulting is I'm going to ask you, I'm going to consult, but I'm going to do what I want anyway. And that's not the idea behind consulting here. Consulting is inquiring or seeking the Lord. We saw it previously back in Isaiah chapter 8, because in Isaiah chapter 8, the Israelites were consulting fortune tellers and mediums. This is in Isaiah 8, verse 19, where you get that exact same Hebrew word, but it's translated inquire. So the idea here is the challenge is, are we going to seek God? Are we going to inquire of Him? Or are we going to do our own thing? And in response to that, they're doing their own thing, right? The horses, the chariots, the horsemen. But in verse 2, Isaiah says, this is the God who you can trust. Let me tell you about God's character here. Let me tell you about who this God is so that you can extend your trust towards Him. And this is in verse 2. He is wise and He brings disaster. And you might think, okay, the wise part, I get it. The wise part is a statement that God runs the universe better than you or I can. He is wise. He is all-knowing. He's able to guide things. His way for His glory and for our good. But this is the weird part here. Brings disaster? How can that be a good thing? How can that make me 
trust God? Well, the reality is, is that God is powerful enough, not just over the good things, but over the hard things of life too. You see, the beautiful thing about Isaiah and true Christianity is that it deals with life as it is, not as we would wish it to be. And what's being said here is that God is powerful enough to bring disaster, and that disaster implied here will result in God's greater glory, and so He will do it. God will, in point of fact, bring, said no one in a evangelical, modern Christian setting, right? God will bring disaster. He will bring suffering into your life in order to draw you closer to Himself, to bring about a good spiritual result. And the good spiritual result is of more value than a comfortable life. You know, what's our priority? Health, wealth, time to enjoy them. Comfort. And what we're told here is that God is wise enough to sometimes bring hard things into our life to bring and reward us with that which is more important than just being comfortable. So he is wise. He brings disaster. Isaiah demonstrating here. God is of a character. You can trust him. And then look at this in verse 2. He does not call back his words. Why would I trust God? Because he has promised and he has yet to break one of his promises. He does not call back his words. And then look at verse 2. He will arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. God can take on his enemies and our enemies. And then in verse 3, we're sort of brought to a conclusion here over this false trusting. A reminder, the Egyptians are a man, not God. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble. That's Egypt, because this is an alliance between Israel and Egypt. The helper will stumble. He who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Now, this is a demonstration of God's mercy and grace, His steadfast love, because He's saying, this is what's going to happen. It's not going to go well. And He reveals this, that they might turn in repentance. It's part of God's kindness and compassion here to say, you're all going to perish together if you keep pursuing this line of reasoning and line of trusting. And so the encouragement for you here is to turn away from false trusting and turn to a God who is wise, sovereign, powerful, and providentially working all things for His glory and our good. He keeps His promises and He can take on all our enemies. He is a better one to trust in than in earthly things. I don't know if you saw this uh, in early June. A bridge collapsed in India. It was a big bridge, and while it was collapsing, it was this beautiful suspension bridge, and part of it would fall into the river, and then somebody whipped out their camera, took video of this bridge, falling into the water, collapsing. They had been building this bridge for seven years. It was a huge bridge. And here's the deal. Two miles long, so even by Texas standards, that's a big bridge. Two lanes each direction, and the thing 
collapse, and it was a calamity. Fortunately, it was under construction, so no one was on it. And we, too, experienced this kind of cataclysmic collapse, dramatic collapse, anytime we extend that trust onto someone or something else instead of God. And sometimes when God brings disaster, because we're told right here, He is wise and brings disaster. And it's important, one of the challenges of Isaiah is to have a theology that is aligned to Isaiah's revelation of who God is instead of our own idea. And so God will bring trials in your life. He will bring difficult things into your life. And if we have extended trust to someone or something else or our own ability or, wow, I'm a really prepared person or organized person, whatever it is we're trusting in, God will sometimes knock it down. Knock it down. And in fact, if you go back to chapter 30 in Isaiah, how does that begin? Ah, stubborn children. The more stubborn you are, God just gets a bigger two-by-four until we submit. And this is part of His grace and His mercy towards us is He is able to collapse that which we are trusting in that we might turn yet again to Him. You see, when something difficult happens in our life, it's important to see that as God's way of drawing us closer to Him and not away. When something difficult happens to us, it's time to draw near to God, not away from Him. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us. This is His character here in verse 2, revealed to us. He is absolutely trustworthy, worthy of our trust. So sometimes difficult things happen to us in life that we might take that opportunity to trust in God again. And this point is made, there's a book called This Too Shall Last. That's the name of the book. And I love that title because what do we tell people? Oh, bless your heart. Do you like being told this? Bless your heart, this too shall pass. Do you like being told that? I, I wonder why do we tell people that? Well, we tell people that because they're going through something hard and they lay it on us and we're thinking to ourselves, oh man, I've got to get some relief here. So this idea that time will just answer, we can trust the process of life that given enough space and distance, time will do its thing and you won't feel uncomfortable anymore. And I love that because this author stepped into that and said, hmm, What's life like? Sometimes this too doesn't pass. Sometimes this too shall last. And it's a book about how God meets us in the midst of our suffering. And I'll read to you a paragraph from this book, This Too Shall Last. It, it goes this way. Suffering does not have to be a barrier. It can be a continual reminder that there is no part of your life where Christ is not present. There's no place too low for him to stoop. There is no place in your memory too dark for him to hold. There is no weakness too recurring 
for Christ to care for. He is patient and he is present. Oh, isn't that good news? Even in the hard things, he is present to us. She goes on to write, Christ is holding us together by the power of his spirit, wrapping scarred hands securely around the most shattered pieces of our stories, carrying them with care because he chose to be shattered first and placing them perfectly alongside his own into a mosaic of glory. How do you make a mosaic of how do you make a mosaic? You make it little pieces, organized. How does God make a mosaic of glory? He shatters our dreams. And then he picks up the pieces by his grace. And Jesus assembles it into something that really gives him glory. We can trust him to do that. This too, sometimes it does last. And it's in the moment that our pain is lasting. Because uh, we're so focused on the priority of being comfortable. I want to be comfortable. God says sometimes your comfort does not achieve my glory, and my glory is the priority. Therefore, trials come into our life, hard things, suffering, and those are opportunities for us to not turn our back on God, not go trust someone or something else, but turn towards Him and find Him trustworthy. You know, the amazing thing about the Christian life, you trust this doesn't make any sense, but you kind of intuitively know this. You trust by trusting. You grow in trust by trusting. And it's a real challenge for us that in those uncomfortable, hard moments, we wouldn't turn. We're very inventive in the different things that we turn to to trust instead of God. That's all false trusting. And God invites us through His very character and the love of the Savior when this too is lasting, to trust Him. And what are we going to trust God for? Well, there's three things that are mentioned in the second half of this passage, the things that we're going to trust God for, protection, the future, and the victory. And of course, protection is a good one to trust God for because Christians are absolutely obsessed with safety, aren't we? True confession time. What's the number one prayer said anywhere in the United States of America? Keep them safe. Keep them safe. We are safety obsessed, aren't we? Man, what a benefit, you know, growing up in the 70s where people weren't that way. No seatbelts. Well, we had seatbelts, but why would we use those? And no helmets and riding our bike, and loving life. I'm not saying don't take precautions, but I'm saying this obsession we have with safety, which incidentally is linked with the comfortable life, is something that we can trust God for. Instead of being so worried and anxious, we ought to be the most unafraid people on earth because we have trusted in Christ and God protects us. And this protection... Look with me in verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, here's a portrayal of who God is. What is God like? Isaiah tells us. He's like a lion that has his prey. That's what God is like. Remember, we're going to adjust our theology to the way that the Scripture reveals it. 
and not the other way around. And what you see here is God is like a lion that growls over his prey. And what happens? The shepherds come and they're shouting and maybe threatening the lion. And is the lion worried about that? No, he's munching down. He's got his prey. He is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. You know, there's so much noise these days. You know, 2023, the year of noise and the talking, 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 right? God isn't intimidated by any of that. You know, some of you maybe checked the news this morning and I don't know if you're like me, you check it like you check your blind spot. And you're like, oh, that's enough. And you start getting worried and you start, isn't it good? We have a God. He's not intimidated. He's not worried. The shepherds gather. Oh, they're going to get this prey. He is not terrified by all that noise. And the prey, the prey, there's sort of a dual meaning here. It could be the enemies of God. It could also be Israel, that he has Israel that he has us in Christ, and he's not intimidated by his enemies. We are safe and secure uh, with him. And so this is what God is like. We can trust him for protection. And some of us need to hand over. You know, obviously, uh, there are scary situations in the world and in life, and we need to hand over our safety to God, understanding that if he doesn't keep us safe in this life, Here's the good news in Christ. If you are not safe in this life, and statistically speaking, you just did the most dangerous thing you're going to do all week long. And you're going to do it again. When you leave here, you're going to drive. And we trust God to keep us safe and protected. And if we are not Protected in this life, we'll be protected in the next if we're trusting in Christ. How good is that? We can trust Him for protection. And not only protection, we can also, and look here in verse 5, what is God like? He's like a bird hovering. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. That's a promise. He's going to protect His people. And then we get four verbs. He will protect it, deliver it, spare it, rescue it. What more do you want? Protect, deliver, spare, rescue. With God is our protection. We can trust in him. And then we also trust God for the future. For the future. This is in verses 6 and 7. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted. So there's a call here to trust. There's a call to repentance. And notice here the sin of Israel is characterized by deeply revolting. Do you see that? They have rebelled against God. But what are they called? How are they addressed? O oh, children of Israel. How beautiful is that? Even though, I mean, this is God's mercy. This is his grace. This is his steadfast love, which can outlast our sin and their sin. They've deeply revolted, but he still calls them children. Children of Israel, for in that day, this is the future we can trust God with, everyone shall cast away his idols, 
of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. These, these idols would have been things that they trusted in. An idol is anything we are extending trust to that is not the God of the Bible. Anything which distracts us or takes away from worship and dedication to God is an idol. And these idols have value. They're silver, they're gold. And what are they going to do? They're going to cast them away. And they're going to trust and turn to God who loves them. So we can trust God for the future. We can trust him for protection. In the last part here in verses 8 and 9, we can trust God for the victory. And that's what's portrayed for us here. Their victory over the Assyrian empire. Look at verse 8. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man. So this is a prophetic pronouncement of the future. And a sword, not of man, shall devour him. So that's a picture of victory, isn't it? And then spoiler alert, go to Isaiah 37, verse 36. Assyria defeats the northern kingdom of Israel. They lay siege against Jerusalem. They have surrounded it. And what happens? Isaiah 37, 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. God defeats Assyria with a sword, not of man, in fulfillment of what has been pronounced there in Isaiah 31, 8. God does it. He is the one who gives the victory, and he can defeat this horde that has rallied itself against God's people. He defeats them overnight. 185,000, and they flee, and then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is later assassinated. God does this as he is able to defeat all his and our enemies. And we look at verse 9, his rocks shall pass away in terror, his officers desert the standard in panic. This is what's going to happen to this mighty army. And then look at this, declares the Lord, God has said it, he's pronounced it. We can trust him at his word, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. And the imagery here is that God is a burning fire. He's a burning fire of judgment. Any who would come and oppose him, he will burn up and destroy. But he's a fire of judgment as well in terms of there are parts of our life, maybe our stubbornness, our reticence, to trust in him, our uh, proclivity to turn to idols. God can burn all that dross up in our life, and we can trust him yet again. You see, what we're talking about here is not just the trust, capital T, of trusting in God and turning to him in conversion and becoming a Christian and trusting Christ that what he accomplished and did on the cross that he saved us because we cannot save ourselves. That's kind of the capital T trusting. But what we've really been talking about is your everyday lowercase t, so to speak, trusting. That every day we are meant to wake up in the reality 
of the salvation we have in Christ, the capital T, trust, and then to trust, lowercase t, every day in the different circumstances that we encounter and go through. This is what we are called to as Christians, and God is up to the task of being the object of our trust. Have you guys seen online, they have these things called eagle cams, and what they do, because eagles use their nest year after year, I mean, these are big bald eagle nests that are four to six feet in diameter, very large. They put a camera by them, and then you can observe the eagles as in their natural habitat, and there was one in Minnesota, and the mama eagle laid some eggs and was sitting on the eggs, keeping them warm. They were going to hatch sometime, and you see cute little eaglets. And so the mama sitting on the eggs, and as sometimes happens in places like Minnesota, a unseasonably late winter storm blew through. And guess where the eagle went? Nowhere. That mama eagle sat on those eggs and the snow fell all around her and it started rising, rising, rising until the picture that I saw of it, that mama eagle was sitting on those eggs up to her neck in snow. She wasn't going anywhere. Aren't we glad the national bird is an eagle and not a turkey? <laughs> God isn't going anywhere. The intimidating things that we see, the threatening things we see in our world, and they may be sort of a national threat or movement, it could be a personal threat to our own hill country dream, God isn't going anywhere. He will not leave us or forsake us. He does not call back his words. He is a lot better to trust in than even the best of us. And we can trust him. We can trust him and extend our trust to him for protection, for safety, for the future, and for the ultimate victory that he will bring. We can trust him. And he will not in any way, shape, or form let us down. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can extend our trust to you and that you will not disappoint us. And even in those really hard situations where we are disappointed, you set us straight by working all things together for our good and for your glory. Give us great confidence that we can extend our trust to you, even in unknown situations and circumstances that we didn't pick. Break us, we pray, of our pride and stubbornness as we see the things that we extend trust to collapse around us. May we always return to you and know that we can ever and only trust in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.